Broadcasting live from the Santa Lucia Highlands through the heart of the Casterville Artichoke Fields, westward to the Elkhorn Slough, and south to the rugged Big Sur coastline, you're listening to What's the Plan? A weekly discussion with local thought leaders about the future of Monterey County. And now, here's your host, Mr. Paul Wyant. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of What's the Plan, Monterey? A really exciting guest today, Mr. Dan Sianca. He's a weatherman for KION. You've probably seen him uh, delivering the weather uh, at various times. Uh, so we'll get into this conversation. Really excited to talk to him, particularly about some of the recent weather events uh, that we've been having here in Monterey County. But uh, before we do, let me remind you that I'm Paul Wyan, owner of Express Employment Professionals in Monterey County at Express. We can help you find great employees for your business. So it's, it's a little bit hard right now finding great employees, but I have a dedicated staff that can just walk you through the process and really help you out. Call us today, 831-920-1857, or just Google Express Employment Monterey. Also, I want to say that we have a podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, just search for What's the Plan Monterey. And we'll be right there. Um, and uh, this episode with Dan will be on there too. And you can listen to all the previous episodes, including, um, you know, featuring Jimmy Panetta and, and other great notables from our, uh, like Tyler Williamson, the mayor of Monterey and all sorts of other folks. So go back and listen to some of those. There's some great content. But today, Mr. Dan Sianca, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the program. Appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's an exciting job. I think weatherman is a fun job. I mean, Dave Letterman was a famous weatherman. A lot of guys started out as weathermen, uh, great talents. Um, and, uh, I guess, I guess first, just kind of like for our audience, maybe there's youngsters listening that want to know if they want to become a weatherman, how do you do it? Well, you know, Paul, there are different ways to do it. There are some people who just want to be on TV and end up in the news business on air or on some other sort of visual media. And, uh, just kind of back their way into being a weatherman or a weather anchor. Uh, myself, I went to school for meteorology and uh, got my degree there and then ended up in the the media side of things. Um, and I've been in the, the business here for well, at least the new side for about 13 years now. So it's uh, was a lot of science classes. So if youngsters out there, if you're interested in science and climate, especially is maybe a big topic in the coming decades, um, you know, this is a good career for you, especially if you like to communicate that. Yeah. Do you, so it's not necessarily, it sounds like from your response, it's not necessarily a requirement that you understand like how uh, low pressure fronts affect the weather necessarily, but it certainly helps in the job because first, the, the primary thing is you're a on-air personality that can like deliver the news coherently is that the first thing and then it really helps if you have that scientific background is that correct yeah i think um in like a lot of television stations um we'll just have people who don't have the training and they just have them read the national weather services forecast or whatever your computer graphics are spitting out um i try to combine those things obviously um i i didn't want to necessarily be in news uh when i was going to school i really wanted to study severe weather tornadoes things like that and um, it just, it was an interesting journey, just kind of getting into the more communicative side of things. And, uh, now, uh, it is really important to, to be able to be a communicator and be able to, uh, explain the hazards that are occurring, especially, you know, during the winter time here, because a lot of time during the summer, you don't really have a lot of weather hazards. It's mostly just, well, here's your ice cream, getting dog walking, basket weaving forecast. And the consultants are always trying to push you to do these like very specific lifestyle forecasts. But, you know, during this time of year, when it's when there's severe weather that's possible, then, 
you really need to know what's going on. Uh, so but, I'm glad that our station really kind of focuses on hiring people that actually have that science background. It's interesting you mentioned that because I, and we'll get uh, back into your past because I do have some questions, but what's interesting about uh, Monterey Peninsula and even Salinas and there's so many microclimates here. I mean, you've got, I've left Pacific Grove to go to uh, Carmel Valley and and it's just like you'd be you'd be actually bundled up in Pacific Grove and then you could be in shorts in Carmel Valley. And then you go up to Marina and you get kind of the same thing. There's so many microclimates. Does that pose, like, how do you, how does the weatherman deal with that? And how do you pose, how does that pose a challenge? It is, what do you it, do? it is very challenging. Uh, there's this trope that it must be easy to be the weatherman in California, but it, it's not, it absolutely is not. Sometimes I wish I was the weatherman in Des Moines on a summer day when you show your county map of there's 18 square counties and they all have a county seat and the temperatures all uh, within a degree of each other. Whereas here, you know, everything is just completely different. You've got a cold ocean, a, a generally warm environment, especially during the summertime, and then all sorts of topography in between. So any change of the wind direction can uh, make the, the weather completely different in some areas. And even during the wintertime when we have storms, depending on the angle that the, the rain is coming in, you can go from a place that gets soaked in rain all day long and then you're getting calls from people saying, well, it's not raining at all in my house in Carmel Valley. An example of that that gets rain shadowed sometimes, you know. So it's very challenging to forecast. And not only that, challenging to forecast, but to communicate that forecast to different neighborhoods of people and feel like that they have that representation as well. The other interesting thing about our, our market is that um, a lot of TV markets really focus on their main city. And then, you know, they may mention things outside of that, but our population here is so spread out around the Bay. And in that spread, there are all sorts of microclimates. So a big challenge for me is um, being able to distinguish that forecast in the amount of time that I have to be able to communicate to people that, yeah, that's so can you explain then uh, in like maybe to us, maybe a seventh grader level, what happened? These storms were pretty severe. I, I think they were about as bad in like 2017, that 2017 winter where was close to as bad, but what, what exactly happened? Uh, you know, at whatever explaining it to like a seventh grader or me, you know, cause I don't understand, uh, you know, meteorology and all the, stuff what happened uh with all these recent storms and the wind and the and the destruction that what, what was that sure well we it was all about the weather pattern really um we had a jet stream so a very long conduit of air which spread out straight across the pacific ocean this came from like japan and it just was uh completely straight across the ocean and it was just drawing moisture in the whole time and it was pointed at us basically. So we just never were outside of that indirect or outside of that direct flow of moisture really for the most part for like three and a half weeks there. Now, right now we've got a big ridge of high pressure off to our West, which is common during La Nina, which is what we're in. We're in La Nina. We're in our third year of La Nina. And it's common to have the weather pattern set up where you have a big blocking ridge to our west and all the storm systems go up to the north toward Alaska or the Pacific Northwest. Um, but the pattern that we had from late December into early January was very El Nino-esque. Um, nice. And actually that happened in 2017 too. We had an El Nino style pattern in La Nina. That's why I always tell people just because it's La Nina, just because it's El Nino doesn't mean you're going to get a a specific result from that because people, I think in their mind, they hear El Nino and they think, oh, we're going to get flooded. 
But we've had El Ninos that have been dry, too. Dan, this is Mark. I've got a question for you. You talk about these storm fronts coming across the Pacific. How fast does a storm front typically move? Like how, how many hours or days does it take to traverse the Pacific Ocean and end up here? That is a good question. Um, you know, I think if something was coming straight across the ocean, we're talking about five or six days okay. from Japan. You know, if it was coming quick, if there was more amplitude in the pattern and, you know, there's things going up and down, it might be a little bit slower than that. But yeah, maybe six days. That's an estimate. Okay. And then I, I hear the thing about king tides. Like we've had king tides in, in December and January. And mm-hmm. what, what defines a king tide over a regular high tide? And, and sure. why do we get them? So the king tides occur during this time of year. Now, it's, it's kind of hard to think about this because we are in the middle of winter, but the Earth's orbit is not a perfect circle. And there are times of the year when we are closer to the sun and there are times of the year when we are farther away. And it just so happens that during the northern hemisphere winter, we are closer to the sun in our orbit. Um, so the sun's gravity has just a slightly larger influence on us. It's pulling more so on our oceans. Now, the king tides occur when the moon is also in between the sun and the earth. So the moon's gravity plus the sun's gravity, which is a little bit more because of the time of year, are both pulling on our tides. So you get these higher high tides and lower low tides. And that happens about three times a year, Uh, usually, uh, well, maybe four times, sometimes in November, December, January, and February, when we're closer to the sun. And the moon is in between us and the sun. That, you know, that's interesting, Dan, because uh, my wife and I were noticing at Lover's Point that you could see rocks that I'd never seen before. And I was like, that's really weird. You know, it's yeah. almost like, is there a tsunami coming? Because the, the, the rocks were really, really, uh, like, to a point we had never seen out there. And it was, and that's, I'm sure what it was, was a, what would you call a low, low tide? Oh, is it a? It's, what, what, yeah, I mean, it's still part of the king tides. I would just say an extreme low tide. I don't know if it has a specific name. Yeah, when you look at the title chart books, and and there's, you know, a number of of people that publish these, and I have one of them, and you'll Mm -hmm. see, oh, I guess like when we're having these king tides, I'll see like 6.8 or 6.9. Does that mean 6 feet 9 inches for the tide or, um, you know, for a high tide listed? Yeah, maybe 6.9 or, yeah, 6.9 feet or 6 feet, nine inches. Okay, 6.9 feet. And then you'll see, Paul, uh, on the other hand, the, the low tides are in the negative. Like you might see... As big as six feet? Well, no, like 0.1 or 0.2 or something like that, or 0.16 or 0.6 and so forth, which you, you'd normally like with the low tide, you might, when we don't have king tides, and correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, you might see like four or five feet on the high tide and maybe one, two feet on the low tide. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure how that works exactly, but... Um, I, and along with this stuff, is it's really interesting because this could be like bites. We could, it's probably the weather affects it, but one thing I was wondering about is the reason that we don't get hurricanes here because the way the Pacific flows is the water comes down from Alaska, as I understand it. It's a big circle. And then in the East Coast, the water comes up from like the Caribbean and Florida, and that's why they get hurricanes and we don't. Is that right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. We need to really sustain a hurricane. You need sea surface temperatures around 80 degrees Fahrenheit or so. And we're in the 50s. You know? <laughs> we're never going to have that. 
and can you can you explain? So you, I know you're not a, a marine biologist, but I, it bleeds over. I'm sure. Is those shark attacks? Is there anything like water temperature? Because you probably monitor the water temperature. Is there anything about water temperature or currents or anything that that makes the Monterey Bay more appealing to sharks recently, or is it just basically a regression to the mean? It's just, it's just random, and we just happen to have a couple of shark attacks this year. You know, you know that that is a good question for a biologist, but I will tell you that. What because of that cold water current we have here, cold water has a lot more oxygen in it, um, and life loves cold, colder water. Um, mm-hmm. and there is a lot of life on our current species, it's <laughs> mixing a lot, so it's just a great place to be a shark because there's a lot of food, it's a great place to be a whale because there's a lot of food. Whether I mean, maybe the time of year, uh, might have some impacts on it because of. You know, sometimes when it's the water's warmer, we get some of these warmer water fish that are found more off the uh, Southern California bite or um, they sh- start showing up here as well. But yeah, yeah I mean, it's just, a, it's just, I mean, it's a great place to be a, a fish. It is, yeah, I can imagine. Or, or an otter. I think yeah, those oh, otters, yeah, oh, they look so happy out there. They, they but, it's full of joy, those others. <laughs> hey, you. So you were a weatherman. I mean, I, Mark, I do want to. I love. I want to focus on the Monterey Peninsula. But you were a weatherman in Grand Junction, Colorado, and I think in Denver as well. Is like, how did that inform you, or what's harder? Is it easier to predict the weather out there with snow and all this other stuff? Snow is very difficult to forecast. I'm glad we don't have to forecast it too often here. But um, you know, every area has its own challenges. Um, I find that. You know, when I was in Western Colorado in the deserts, um, it's pretty easy to forecast temperatures based on elevation because during the summertime, especially, um, you're going to fully realize the temperature of the atmosphere. And what I mean by that is here we often live in an inversion, you know, because of the ocean being so cold, it affects the air around it. So uh, that's why with even very little elevation change, it can be 50 degrees at the coast and, you know, 100 degrees in southern Monterey County um, because the air mass above us can support a surface temperature of 100 degrees. So in the desert, it's pretty easy to figure that out everywhere, just as kind of forecast based on elevation. If you're at 1,000 feet, you're going to be this temperature in the middle of the afternoon. If you're at 3,000, this temperature here on the coast, it's different. And that zone between the cold ocean air and that hot inland air is very difficult to forecast. So again, they kind of all have their own challenges and um, different things to worry about, which makes it kind of interesting, I suppose. Going I, it is really interesting. Can I ask a, just, a, I want to ask a third grade question. Why sure. is it cloudy in, in, in Pacific Grove and in, in like new Monterey area and sunny in Marina a lot of times. So a lot of times, you know what I mean? It'll be cool and cloudy in in those areas, like right on the tip of the peninsula there. And then you just go a little bit north to, you know, I mean, extreme is Capitola and Santa Cruz, but even to Marina and and you've got 10 degrees difference in sun. Why does that happen? Well, it kind of comes down to the wind direction too, a lot of the time. So, um, you know, during the summertime when our sea breeze kicks in, I think of it as like a reverse river. So the air is trying to push up our valleys and like the Salinas Valley is a good funneling place for that. So the air starts pushing up the Salinas Valley. And once that process begins, it starts to really pull on the air over the ocean. So you're drawing in air across the peninsula over Pacific Grove. And then once it comes down the hill on the other side of Pacific Grove to Monterey and Sand City, that descending air, that process of the descent of the air causes it to compress and warm. 
And as it does so, it uh, can mix the clouds out of it. Um, clouds like cooler, more moist air. They don't like warmer, drier air. So just even that slight warming and drying process can completely mix the clouds and warm you up 10 degrees. And it's really just a flow of the air over the peninsula because the air, the peninsula does have its uh, you know has its own topography. Mm-hmm. Dan, I had a question for you about the 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 quote unquote damp cold that we feel. And I've known mm-hmm. people who've lived in uh, places where they get snow and it could be in the twenties or lower, and they come out here and they say it was cold back home, but it's a different cold from what you get out here. And and they'll say like, it's like in the forties here at night, but it's this damp cold that you have and it goes to your bones. Is there anything to that, that there is such a thing as a damp cold and a dry cold? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of relative per person too, and how you're dressed, but I mean, certainly you can, your body radiates heat at different, um, um, levels depending on how much moisture is in the air. So if there's actually more moisture in the air, it can actually reflect some of that moisture, some of that heat that your body's radiating back to you. But that moisture always also can get in your clothes, which can hold on to some cooler air closer to your body. So it's really kind of relative, depending on the situation. But I mean, it feels very cold to me in the summer here. <laughs> I can be very cold. You know, I grew up in Montana, and I, I did my. I remember doing my paper route once, and it was forty degrees below zero Fahrenheit. No wind, just dry. 40 degrees below zero. And I was wearing, you know, a pair of sweatpants and oh, long john sweatpants, jeans. And then, you know, like a undershirt, long sleeve shirt, a sweater and a coat, and, you know, just trying to not die. You know. <laughs> but <laughs> but, yeah, but you, you do bring up a good point because it, like in Grand Junction, Colorado, which I've been to, it's like you could have 20 degrees and if it's not windy, it, it, you're right. That drier air just feels like you can, you can keep your body heat in better than, uh, than when you're out in about in 40 degree weather here. So it's a, it is interesting. That's a, uh, you know, have you done now I want an interesting story. I don't know if you've done any of these, but do you know how like Al Roker will go into the, the throat of a storm and, and just get pummeled by waves or by yeah. wind and get knocked over and stuff. Have you done any of those on sites and why do weathermen do it? I, I'm, I'm mildly entertained by the YouTube highlights of it, but yeah. is that still a thing that weathermen do? You know, to be honest, I haven't done a lot of weather reporting in my, my news uh. career. I've usually been the person at the station um, with the radar behind me. I've done some, I think back when I was in Grand Junction, I, I was Usually, here's here's a little secret about the news business. Um, most places you go when you start, especially when you're in a, a lower level market, um, even with a science degree, you get to be a weatherman two days a week, and then three days a week you're a news reporter, and you get to learn how to be a journalist. You just get to learn that on the fly. You may be covering any sort of like crime story, or have to go and sit through a city council meeting, you know, something like that. But um, you know, I had some back when I did that, but. You know, and here I've been, I've never really weather reported here. I've always been behind the scenes. Now, with that said, you know, as a hobby, I go out and chase storms around all over the place. Although I'm not one of those people who likes to have my face in the picture all the time. I think that's not, that's kind of a new YouTube thing where everyone has their cameras pointed at them instead of the weather. But that's uh, great. Yeah. Was there, Dan, was there anything interesting to you about the intensity of the rain that we had in the storms, you know, the way they fell here uh, over the last few weeks? Um, not really. I mean, it all, it all made sense based on the weather pattern. Um, the, the, the more interesting one for me, and this is only anecdotal because I 
they live in Salinas is that uh, one of those particular storms, I think it was the New Year's Eve storm. Um, I could be wrong on that. Um, but we had the atmospheric river was a little bit more aligned from the West. So Salinas got like two or three inches of rain. And then for most of the other storms, Salinas has been pretty dry. We haven't had a lot of rain with these systems. Now, granted, there have been so many of them that it has piled up after a while, but a lot of the systems were getting a half an inch, three quarters of an inch. Why, you know, they're getting seven inches in Boulder Creek or Big Sur is getting five inches. But that storm, we got like two to three inches in a short period of time. And that one was a wet one. And it was really just because of the, the moisture plume that was coming in was oriented out of the west as opposed to that more southwesterly direction, which is more common for us during those wet storms. That's great. You're, we're uh, talking to Dan Sianca. He's the weatherman for KION here on the Monterey Peninsula. I'm Paul Wyna. And this is What's the Plan? You're listening to on 101.1 FM and 1460 AM. Dan, I was interested because NOAA is low and uh, there's a lot of, they they do some great algorithm stuff. And our iPhones now, like that iPhone app now can tell you basically the, the temperature by the time of day up to seven days in advance. And can you talk a little bit about like the technology and the algorithm benefits that, that you've seen over your course as a weatherman, like maybe when you were first starting out, how good were the forecasts to now? Because it seems like now we're really, we can really see far into the future where we couldn't before. And and what is what has really led to that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, every year they're building new computers that uh, understand the atmosphere better. And that is going to continue to get better. We're going to be able to see farther out. Um, we'll be able to see it better detail as well. I mean, a lot of computer models, even, you know, three, four years ago, and even to some extent, to this day, don't really resolve the terrain around here all that well. It's just kind of a, a blocky picture with values on top of that. And that's what's funny about a lot of apps. I've had a lot, I had a, a lot of people complaining about, you know, apps not handling these storms right over the last you know couple of weeks. And really it's just because they're pulling out raw model data and just spitting out output. There's no human looking at that and saying, oh, that doesn't seem right. It's just all raw model data all the time. Um, which, you know, can be good, but here I really feel like it's nice to have a human interpreting that data because of how intricate our topography is, how intricate our mountains, our small micro microclimates are. Um, plus I get to look at all the computer models. Those, those apps may be just using one model and one model isn't always right. Sometimes they're wrong. Sometimes they're very wrong. In fact, yeah, you're um, you're right because like there was a couple times when it rained really heavy when my app was saying it wasn't going to rain at all. I should have should have listened to Dan on those. Yeah, tune in, right? I mean, <laughs> the greatest thing. I mean, local news is it's it's where TV's in a tough place right now. You know, just like a lot of other media types that aren't TikTok, I suppose. But well, you stream it. You stream it, Ko, and too. Yeah, don't we you? absolutely yeah. stream. And and the best way to keep me employed um, is is on views, is people watching. So whether that's through their t television, uh, through a live stream. Um, you know, that's how you can afford to have a local meteorologist always looking at the weather here and helping fill the gaps in your apps. Cause I mean, I, I don't, you, you're, you have a great Twitter presence too. And you, yeah. uh, yeah, that's the, cause you were warning about sneaker waves and I, and, and you could like the Salinas river and the Spreckles river and all this stuff, like how much hydrology is there now in your, in what you're doing? Because you're thinking about like how you're going to have to monitor how these, these rivers are rising and these emergency, whether or not they're going to take out the, uh, you know, the one or the highway 68 to Salinas. I mean, how involved are you getting in all that stuff? With the yeah, no, I mean, we are, I, while, while I am not a hydrologist, um, 
I just look at the data that's there, you know, so I'm looking at stream gauges. Um, I'm looking at how the rivers are responding to vents of rain over their headwaters. Um, I don't have like a mental calculator on exactly how high the river is going to go. In fact, I just kind of, the, the forecasts come through, I think the USGS, maybe NOAA, USGS, somewhere in there, they're putting out a, a river level forecast. Um, so I use that as much as I can. And then we look at historical levels too. Like I was talking with the, the National Weather Service with this last event, you know, and they list at when the river level's this high, this floods, when it's this high, this floods, when it's this high, this floods. So we're comparing what the forecast is to the historical record on what has flooded in the past. And yeah, there was uh, some of the forecasts were showing um, enough water that it would put 68 underwater. Now, none of them did show anything that would have really made Highway 1 um, in in danger of, of inundation, but you never know. Something can always happen. Like uh, a culvert washes out and next thing you know, I have a sinkhole and then a levee breaks and, and then the, the predictions don't matter because the infrastructure isn't built the same way. But yeah, we ended up lucking out and not having the, the flooding issue on 68, but well, I, I actually got a lot of heat from that. People said I was, you know, um, fear mongering with that. And I was like, I'm just being real. I'm looking at this forecast and saying what happens. Mm-hmm. And people were saying, well, I was driving across the bridge on 68 and it wasn't even close. And I'm like, well, if you go look at pictures um, from the nineties of when we really well, flooded, the yeah. bridge on 68 was not underwater. It was all of the fields North of Spreckles mm-hmm. Boulevard. Is- well, they were flooded. I, I think the ones what used to be McShane's uh, landscape supply now is Topes. Uh, that yeah. field flooded. So yeah, Right. Well, you know, real quick, like it, it was, came across the road, the bridge. Yeah, yeah. I, I believe the bridge over the Salinas River. It didn't flood there, but no, no. it it's the low lying fields, mm-hmm. you know. And then the road is kind of low or parallel with the fields, and that's where the water came in from on sixty eight. Yeah. And it happened to be near, of course, near the Salinas River. I was there. I sure. remember it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been we've been in you know famously in this historic drought. Um, snowpack wise and this rainfall, what, how close are we getting to being like out of that and getting the aquifer refilled and those kind of things, uh, Dan? We're doing really well. We just got another update today, which removed a lot more of our area from moderate and severe drought. So, you know, the drought's kind of complicated how they calculate that. It comes down to rainfall and snowpack, soil moisture and groundwater too. Um, a lot of stuff that's going on beneath our feet is actually calculated into that drought. And it's like this hidden group of drought calculators and then they put out their results with their magic recipe exactly so i can never predict what the drought update's going to look like because you know i don't i don't make the decisions on it but um you know a lot of it has to do with groundwater too so we can be flooding and still be in drought because all of it's running off to sea and not soaking into the grounds mm. yeah it's a uh, well it's definitely been helping and i think the snowpack it's historic now but it, for some reason we seem to get uh, the snow in the sierra seems to come now and and a lot of times it trails off a little bit into the spring. What do you, yeah. so if you're like the, I don't know if you're, if you're like a biological farmer's almanac, but what would you predict or can you make some kind of broad predictions about the rest of the year and the weather events? Yeah. Uh, so what I'm seeing right now in the longer term forecast is that we're going to get into a little bit more active pattern right now. It's hard to say whether it's going to be a full onslaught of rain again. I'm not really seeing that, but I, I can see us coming kind of back in a normal La Nina pattern, which is 
blocking high, which occasionally moves and lets a couple storm systems pass. I kind of think that's where we're going to set up for the rest of the year. So we'll be dry for a couple of weeks and then we might have a couple systems come through dry for a couple of weeks. And that's kind of the pattern I'm seeing evolve right now, but really long-term forecasting is really tough. And I think most people who are, are no longer in the weather business, they are probably trading stocks. <laughs> they're they're uh, they're betting on ag futures or something like that. Exactly. So, yeah. Hey, Dan, what days of the week are you on KION TV? I know in the old days, the, the main meteorologist was worked Monday through Friday, but you're not on a Monday through Friday schedule these days. What is your schedule now? No, well, we're short. We've been shorthanded all the entire storm season and we don't have a new person starting until April, I think. So I'm just on a really weird schedule. So our news director can fill in and do weather a couple days. Um, and my wife actually is our morning weather person. So she's very good. Uh, she's doing a great job. Yeah. Um, it's, so, it's, where can they find more about you? What is it? KON.com and uh, Twitter? Yeah, Twitter, uh, KION546.com. I'm on right now, Saturday through Wednesday. I think normally I'll be on Sunday through Thursday days though once we have another person so yeah google dan with two n's d-a-n-n sianka and that's spelled with a c so it's c-i-a-n-c-a so dan sianka thank you so much for uh, coming on the program really appreciate it my pleasure thank you yeah well i'm paul wine owner of express employment professionals monterey county look us up on the internet at express employment professionals and you'll see us will be the first google result for monterey county thanks to my producer mark carbonara the best producer in the business and of course thanks to David Marzetti, the host of the Saturday Morning Shagbag Radio Show, right here on 1460 AM and 101.1 FM Power Talk. But I don't let it, let it get me down. Cause this fine old world.